Okay, if you have a Bible with you, you can turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. We'll look at the end of that chapter today as we're getting into our series on Ecclesiastes. Um, The text is also printed in the bulletin. So this week I was in a coffee shop uh, ordering coffee. I wasn't eavesdropping. There were only three of us in the whole coffee shop. And uh, the conversation was loud, so I overheard the middle-aged woman uh, behind the bar saying to her coworker that it was her birthday that day, right? She was saying it was her birthday. She didn't really seem too excited about it. The guy said, oh, happy birthday. She's like, well, you know. She was suggesting that really the only good thing about getting older, she said this, was, uh, was gaining wisdom and getting experience because you also just get wrinkles, that's all. And uh, <clears throat> so uh, the person that she was talking with, a uh, younger fellow, he nodded. He agreed as if this was a very wise thing to say. Yes, yes. The older you get, the more you realize the, the, only, the only good thing about getting older is wisdom and experience and all that. So, um, and I, I couldn't help but wonder, <laughs> why? Why is it a, a good, um, why do we assume that it's good to gain wisdom with age? Why? There's too much Ecclesiastes for me lately. Um, so, uh, so this morning, we're going to hear, you know, earthly wisdom the kind of thing that you get with age and experience, it, it really isn't all that it's cracked up to be. It's not as fulfilling as we assume. It's not as good as we assume that it is. Uh, there is, however, a wisdom that comes from God that we should pursue and that we can have by his grace. That's what we'll talk about. So let's pray, then we'll read the scripture. Father, you offer us wisdom as a gift But it is not easy for us either to ask for the gift or to receive it. We pray that you would help us as we consider this wisdom writing before us this morning, as we consider it with faith in Christ, help us to grow in true spiritual wisdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, what's printed here in the bulletin Ecclesiastes 1, verses 12 through 18. There are some uh, slight variances from the uh, translation uh, that you might have the ESV. So, starting in verse 12. I, the preacher, have been king uh, king over Israel in Jerusalem. And I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It's an evil business that God has given to the children of man to be troubled with. I've seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vapor and herding wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge, and I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is hurting wind, for in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So uh, many of you have enjoyed uh, philosophy courses 
in school. I don't know if some of you even majored in that or minored in that. Uh, philosophy, let's just give it kind of a basic definition that uh, a lot of people would accept, I think. It's the study of uh, the nature of things like knowledge, the nature of reality, the nature of existence. It's the study of those things, right? So the word philosophy, the word philosophy comes from Greek. Um, it comes from two words in Greek, philos and sophos, which means love of wisdom, right? Philosophy means love of wisdom. Uh, one of the great Greek philosophers who lived in the 300s uh, BC, Aristotle, you're all familiar with his name, uh, in probably his, uh, well, his best-known work, Metaphysics, says this at the very beginning. He says, all men by nature desire to know. To know. He should know. He knew everything. He was a literal know-it-all. Aristotle wrote about physics and biology and logic and poetry and psychology and linguistics and politics and every other field of study that there was to write about in his day. So that it was said of him, actually, he knew everything that there was to know. Did he really know everything? Of course not. But he didn't know that. So 600 years before him, Solomon was the wisest man. Solomon was the wisest man ever to have lived. In 1 Kings chapter 3, uh, the Lord had appeared to Solomon in a dream. He invited Solomon to ask, ask what God should give him. And Solomon asked for an understanding mind that he may discern between good and evil so that he could rule well. And he asked for wisdom. So this pleased the Lord. So uh, it says in 1 Kings chapter 4, God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt for he was wiser than all other men. And then it goes on to list all these other famous, apparently uh, wise people that he was wiser than them. And his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He he also spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. He spoke of trees from the cedar that's in in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts and of birds and of reptiles and of fish. And and people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from the kings of all the earth uh, who had heard of his wisdom. So Solomon, he wrote about all the disciplines that there are, all the fields of study. Uh, He wrote down for us wisdom from God. Proverbs, Psalms, songs. Uh, Like what we have here in our passage this morning, wisdom from God. It says in verse 12, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. So there are only two kings, only two people, who could make that statement. That was David and Solomon. Because after Solomon, the kingdom was divided. So that the king in Jerusalem only ruled over the southern kingdom of Judah and not over Israel, which was the northern kingdom. It's the tribes that broke away. So only two people could have said, I was king over Israel in Jerusalem. David and Solomon. So whether Solomon is the one who wrote this book down or not, uh, we talked about this briefly before. This is the wisdom of Solomon. This is the wisdom of the wisest of all men. And here, the preacher, Ecclesiastes, talks about his Search to know everything. It says, I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. Solomon prized wisdom above all else. 
It was the one thing he asked of God. He spent his, his whole life learning and studying and writing about everything that he could. Some of us know the insatiable desire to know that he's talking about here. That Aristotle would then go on to say it's basic to human nature, this desire to know. Some of us love learning, can't get enough. We study, we love scholarship, we love research. I think that in a, in a real sense, this is a good instinct for us. But you get the idea from the preacher here that he was desperately looking for some sort of fulfillment. He's looking for, some, for his wisdom to find, to seek and search out some sort of fulfillment. Right? Maybe he's looking for something that would unlock the mysteries of reality so that reality itself could be understood, so it could be made right. right? He, he reports the findings of his search. He says, it's an evil business. That's strong language, stronger than what is reflected in the ESV. It's clear. It's an evil business that God has given to the children of man to be troubled with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vapor. Right? It's meaningless, insubstantial, fleeting, and Herding wind. That's futile, if you ever uh, think about what that means. Trying to grasp and catch and, re- and direct the wind. <clears throat> and he says in this little proverb, What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. So, knowing everything that he could know didn't bring satisfaction. It couldn't fix what was broken with the world. The crooked can't be made straight. He couldn't even know what was wrong. He couldn't even know what was missing in life. He couldn't know what he didn't know. Even the greatest human mind couldn't find a way to make things right in the world. So Ecclesiastes questioned even the value of wisdom itself. Uh, Sort of like saying, why did I even undertake this endeavor? Why even go after wisdom like this? I've said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. So he, we would say maybe he went meta. He's going meta here, right? He, he applies his great wisdom to knowing wisdom, to figuring out what wisdom is, to understanding the nature of wisdom, and also its opposite, to understand madness and folly and, and insanity. <clears throat> We would call him a great philosopher. He's a lover of wisdom, one who studied the nature of knowledge, the nature of reality and existence, who knew more about these things than anyone else. And even this pursuit was an unsatisfying dead end for for the wisest man who ever lived. I perceived that this also, just the pursuit of wisdom, it's it's hurting wind, right? Verse 17, an exercise in sheer futility. Verse 18, in much wisdom... You just get vexation. You increase your knowledge, you increase your sorrow. So why are we even here? Why are we reading this? Why are we talking about this? Why are we engaging with this together? Why are we, it seems like we're here to, to gain some wisdom, right? Why? <clears throat> if wisdom doesn't lead to satisfaction, or doesn't lead to some sort of redemption, then why pursue it? Why think at all? Why even listen to what Ecclesiastes has to say? But clearly there's something going on here because Ecclesiastes has felt moved to share wisdom with us. It's the wisdom that wisdom is futile. <laughs> the wisdom that, that, uh, that wisdom is frustrating. He's moved to share that wisdom with us. Solomon would not say that God's wisdom was worthless. 
not God's wisdom. He wrote whole books of scripture revealing God's wisdom. And he explicitly wrote that these wisdom writings that he's written for us, they are good. They are helpful to us. Go and read the first few chapters of Proverbs. He's prizing and promoting God's wisdom above everything else. He says, you've got to seek this. You've got to get God's, God's wisdom. Right? So why is Ecclesiastes so down on wisdom here? Remember, the arena that Ecclesiastes is exploring is life under heaven, as he says in verse 13, or under the sun, verse 14. Right, so here he's talking about, not, not God's wisdom, he's talking about earthly wisdom. Earthly wisdom. The scriptures frequently make this distinction between wisdom that comes from above and a wisdom that is earthly, unspiritual, demonic, as James puts it in chapter 3 of his letter. Or between God's wisdom and the wisdom of this age, the wisdom of this world, as Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 2 and 3. <clears throat> in Colossians chapter 2, Paul talks about the philosophy and empty deceit that accords with human tradition and the elemental spirits of the world. And he contrasts that, that kind of wisdom, with the treasures of wisdom and knowledge that are hidden in Christ, that are in accordance with Christ. God's wisdom. Right? So God's wisdom... Paul writes, God's wisdom seems foolish to those who have the wisdom that is under the sun, earthly wisdom. And wisdom that is under the sun is futile according to God's wisdom. <clears throat> That's what this is saying. The two are in opposition. So why, why is that? Why are they in opposition? What does that mean? What's the real distinction between earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom, God's wisdom? Does it mean that all human philosophy is worthless? That those classes you might have enjoyed in college, they were an exercise in futility that Plato and Aristotle and Descartes and Kant and all the rest, they're just wasting their time and wasting our time? In a sense, yes. That's what it means. Insofar as philosophy, earthly philosophy, is a pursuit of wisdom apart from God, See, that's the root problem with philosophy under the sun, which is what this is talking about here. <clears throat> philosophy is supposed to be the love of wisdom. It's the pursuit of wisdom and knowledge, but without regard to God. Even in blatant disregard to God. A lot of times you'll find that. So merely human philosophy, it seeks to understand the nature of knowledge. It seeks to understand the nature of reality and existence. It seeks satisfaction in knowing in knowing about everything, but it doesn't take as its starting point and its goal the knowledge of the God of knowledge and reality and existence. Wisdom under the sun seeks to know the creation apart from the creator. Wisdom under the sun is not interested in relationship with the God who has revealed himself in his word, not interested in relationship with the God who has spoken all things into reality, into existence. <clears throat> so as you might imagine, as we talk about frequently, this all started in the garden, and the account of the problem there in Genesis 3, it's clear and it's concentrated. And this probably is in Ecclesiastes' mind as he's writing this section. So when God placed our first parents in the garden... There were two special trees there. There was the tree of life, 
There's all these trees, lots of trees in the garden, but in the midst of the garden, there's the tree of life, special tree, and then number two, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So our first parents, those first representatives of humanity, they were invited to partake freely of any tree in the garden, any of them, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So, if they ate from any other tree, including the tree of life, they would be doing that in a good relationship with God. They could apply their senses, they could apply their hearts, they could apply their minds, their intelligence to anything and everything in the world. They could observe and they could study and they could learn and they could taste and they could consider all things. They could concentrate and think hard about all the secrets, all the mysteries of knowledge and reality and existence. They could, they could truly appreciate everything in the world as something that comes from God, as a gift, as something that reveals God in his loving and joyful and abundant and generous creativity. They could appreciate everything in the world as something to be received from God with thanksgiving, to be enjoyed in relationship with God. They could grow in all experience and in all wisdom in a good relationship with God. The only way for them to eat of that one other tree was to get the the experience of it, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the only way to do that was to violate their relationship with God. To pursue what that tree offered them apart from God. Without regard to God. And that's what we chose. It says in Genesis 3, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate, and so did her husband. What kind of wisdom is she looking for? Wisdom apart from God. That was the beginning of earthly philosophy, the unspiritual love of wisdom apart from relationship with God. And that's the kind of wisdom that Ecclesiastes is saying. It gets you nowhere. It gets you nowhere. Why would we try to understand the nature of knowledge and reality and existence apart from the Lord? Only because we refuse to accept the truth. Because we reject the true nature of knowledge and reality and existence as coming from God and as centered on God. So earthly philosophy, it doesn't assume that the triune God of love is, is its starting point for thinking and exploration of the world. It doesn't pursue the knowledge of this God as its highest goal. God offers us true wisdom only in relationship with himself. That's explicit. In fact, that's the nature of true wisdom, is seeing all of life in light of our relationship with God. That's true wisdom. Seeing all of life in light of our relationship with God. But philosophy under the sun, it just isn't interested in that. So Aristotle was right. All men by nature desire to know We're compelled to know because we're made in the image of a God who knows and a God who is known and who makes a world for knowing. But apart from knowing God, our search for wisdom, it will be forever unsatisfied. You can't have truth seekers who reject the ultimate foundation of truth. 
as their, as their first premise. Eating from that tree, <clears throat> tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it was the beginning of the futile search for wisdom. It doesn't matter how much experience you accumul- accumulate in this world. You could know everything about everything under the sun, and it will only increase your vexation and your sorrow. In fact, the further down the path of worldly wisdom that we go, the further away from God's wisdom we find ourselves and our philosophical pursuits, they degenerate. They degenerate into, it's the love of arguing, it's not the love of wisdom. It's the, it's the love of being right. The love of knowing more than other people. The love of cleverness. The love of sounding impressive. Human philosophical pursuits, they cease even to resemble the true love of knowledge, the true love of wisdom. And, and they look more obviously like madness and folly. Who can even understand the philosophers anymore? Are they even connected to reality anymore? <clears throat> because as the great Solomon says in so many places, it's the fear of the Lord that's the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That doesn't just mean that the fear of the Lord is to be the first premise of every the, uh, theological or logical argument. Or that the fear of the Lord is supposed to be the starting place for a book you might write about philosophy. You might better write the first chapter about that and then you go off into your tangents or whatever. It means that having a relationship with God, this is what the fear of the Lord is, the beginning of wisdom. Having a relationship with God is the foundation for any and every little bit of true wisdom that you could possibly have. And this means... <clears throat> That fearing God, regarding God, believing God, treating God as God is at the root of all true wisdom. It means that knowing God relationally as he's revealed himself to us in the scriptures, in the gospels, as he's revealed himself in the person and work of his son, Jesus Christ, knowing him relationally is the heart of all true wisdom. Uh, Phil Riken says that without the benefit of divine revelation... Figuring out the meaning of life is as unattainable as striving after wind. That's what this says. Without the benefit of divine revelation. But we have the benefit of divine revelation. God has made himself known for a relationship. He's made himself known as the God of all knowledge and reality and existence. The tripersonal God whose being is is mutual, relational, knowing love. He is himself the foundation for our knowing. He is himself the pattern for our knowing. There are some theological Christian uh, philosophers who write about this stuff, and it's really fascinating. Go read Esther Meek. Go read John Frame. If you would love wisdom, it means loving the God of wisdom. If you want real wisdom, if you want to love wisdom, it's what philosophy is supposed to be. It means loving the God of wisdom. It means loving Jesus in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus, as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he became to us wisdom from God. All right, so Jesus is the wisest man who ever lived. Surpassing, he's the, he's the greater son of David. He was wiser than Solomon. Wiser than any earthly philosopher, as the Gospel of Luke says, he was filled with wisdom even as a young boy. Jesus truly feared God. He truly treated God as God, like no other person's ever done. He truly saw all of life in connection with 
his father in heaven. But he isn't just the wisest man who's ever lived. Scriptures say he is wisdom. Jesus is wisdom. So when you wonder what God's wisdom looks like, it looks like Jesus. When you wonder what the true human life with God, what it looks like to live all your life in light of your relationship with God, looks like Jesus. When you wonder about the nature of reality, when you wonder about the purpose of reality, when you wonder about the goal of reality, God's answer will always be Jesus. He's the wisdom of God. When you want to know, how, how can we know the truth? You know, the epistemological question. How can we know anything about knowledge? How can we know the truth? The answer is, the word of God came to us. He came in the flesh. That's how you can know the truth. Jesus is the truth of God. Jesus is the wisdom of God declared to us. With Jesus, we become wise. Apart from Jesus, any wisdom that we have, it's ultimately meaningless. So this doesn't mean... That with Jesus, wisdom comes easily. doesn't mean that. Does the wisdom found in the scriptures come easily? When you read the wisdom writings in the scriptures, is it just clear, this wisdom? No, oftentimes it's cryptic. We have to work. We have to work to understand the wisdom writings of the scriptures in light of Christ and our relationship with God. It's a privilege that we have to explore all of life, to apply ourselves apply our hearts and our minds to explore all of life in light of our relationship with Jesus. That's an aspect of true wisdom. That is an aspect of wisdom that maybe most people would acknowledge. It's not the lowest hanging fruit of mental exercises. It does take careful thought to understand the things of God, the ways of God, and what life means in light of your relationship with God. But it is accessible for those who ask for it, who seek Yet who search for it through faith in Christ. It also doesn't mean uh, that God's true wisdom makes life easy. You know, life, uh, wisdom under the sun, wisdom un- under heaven, human earthly philosophy, oh, you just add, add your wisdom, you add your sorrows. But Christian, you know, Christian philosophy, Christian wisdom, that makes life easy, right? No, that's not. That's not it. Jesus knew what it meant to live the whole human life with regard to God in the fear of the Lord. And he was still called a man of sorrows. But he knew God. His sorrows were not meaningless. They were not hopeless. His wisdom was not in vain. And he's opened his relationship to God. He's opened that up to us. If you know God through faith in Jesus, your wisdom will not be in vain. Proverbs 2, Solomon writes, Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. This knowledge of God is gloriously satisfying, and his wisdom is for the asking in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's pray.
We pray with Paul that you, God of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father of glory, would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Christ. We pray that you would help us to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That we would have the wisdom that comes from above. That we would have the wisdom of seeing all of life in this world in light of our relationship with you. You've made it clear that if we ask with faith in a Christ-centered way, that you will give to all liberally and without reproach this kind of wisdom. So we ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen.